You're listening to the Property Nomads podcast, your one-stop shop for property, business, and travel-related content, tying it all together to help guide you towards success. If you like the podcast, please share with others, subscribe, and leave us a review. So get your gear together and let's get going. Welcome to Property and Nomads podcast episode 101. We have a brilliant special guest this week. We will deep dive into mining, macroeconomics, metals, also cover some lighthearted travel stories, talk about spiders and what it's like to live in Australia as well. The guest this week hosts the Dig Deep Mining podcast. Go and check that out, link is in the show notes. He's a recruitment specialist within the mining industry as well. Delighted to be joined by none other than Rob Tyson. And we we're having a bit of a, a laugh off air, weren't we, about the fact that you host a podcast, I host a podcast, so this could just be a, a Mexican standoff of silence for 45 minutes. Yeah, well, like I was just saying, um, I, in my podcast, I interview people and I just generally ask the questions and the, the guest is providing the content. Um, and now, obviously, the tables have been reversed. So uh, you're the one that's asking the questions and I'm the one that's providing the, the content. All right, let's see how this goes. And we're going to touch upon a, a few different subjects. We've known each other a few years now and we've yeah. met at property conferences. And, you know, from there, we've sort of been keeping in you know, touch with each other. You've started Dig Deep, the mining podcast. So we're going to touch on a plethora of subjects. But before we do that, can you just tell people a little bit more about yourself, your background, and what's led you to do what you're doing today? Yeah, yeah, certainly. So I, uh, I live in Kent. Um, I lived in Australia for 10 years, um, where I, I moved out there permanently. Um, and I before I moved out there, I was actually, my, my main business is recruitment. So I got into recruitment and I was just generally doing um, industrial recruitment. And then I moved out to Australia, which was back in 2000, the year 2000, actually. Um, no, actually, tell a lie. It was 2003. Um, I actually moved back out there. I previously went traveling um, out there for two years, came back here, got into recruitment. Then I moved um, out there 2003 and lived out there for, for 10 years until I moved back. And whilst I was out there, I was working in recruitment and then got into mining recruitment, which is obviously what this podcast is, uh, is, uh, about plus obviously property. So, um, I was out there working in mining recruitment, came back to the UK 2014, uh, with three children. Um, hence the reason why I moved back. I actually uh, preferred to actually live out there um but anyway that could be that could be a something i will do in the future so moved back in 2014 and started my own recruitment business in mining which is international so i recruit expatriate staff um across the world in various countries across africa across asia across europe um so that's expatriate recruitment so they could be candidates from the UK, from Australia, from Canada, America, South Africa, for instance, that work in other countries as a expatriate or specialist within the mining sector. Um, so I started my own business and yeah, I also then got into property as well a few years ago, um, which obviously we, we can cover that a little bit later on. Um, and yeah, so recruit, recruitment is what I do. 
in in the mining industry um and i think there's exciting times ahead for for the mining industry especially uh, i suppose particular commodities like uh, precious metals um i think that's gonna i think those the precious the precious say gold and gold and silver you're going to hear a lot of that over the next few years um and yeah i'm dealing obviously with a lot of clients that are in that space um so i do hear some things from them that's pretty cool and this was one of the reasons why we got together and done this podcast wasn't it because we were having a talk of you know a fair few weeks ago talking about macroeconomics geopolitics and the fact we've been reading similar books recently but for people that are familiar with property they'll you know, be acutely aware of the property cycle the rough 18 year property cycle mining has a cycle as well but it's completely different is that is that a fair thing to say yeah i mean again i'm a recruiter so i'm not a specialist in mining so i provide obviously a service to the mining industry so there is there is a mining cycle it is probably as long as a housing cycle or property cycle um but i think they work differently they, they certainly do and i think also what i noticed because i worked out in australia they actually had a different property uh, sorry a different mining cycle to the rest of the world because of their because of the country is predominantly i suppose their main gdp is mining um it's pretty mining intensive they seem to have a different uh, life cycle to the rest of the world and i didn't know that until i came back to the uk so during um the gfc so 2008 2009 um i think the mining industry had was in wasn't in a great shape internationally but in australia when i actually started working in the in the mining sector during 2008 2009 um, i was new to the sector and although we had a little um, bump for about six months it then ramped right up to 2012 2013. so while the rest of the probably world was recovering um from the gfc in obviously various sectors the mining industry was actually booming in australia between yeah 2009 to 2012 so there was a lot of activity a lot of companies spending lots of money a lot of jobs being created um and that was my i suppose my learning lesson into the mining space um up until probably about 2012 2013 um things slowed down um so i think they had a big boom and then it was it was coming to obviously the top of their ceiling and what happened was i noticed within australia um things started to change people started uh, they started to stop recruiting a few people started to lose their jobs but because i was also recruiting not within australia i was also recruiting internationally i noticed that the international market wasn't affected up until for about a good six or nine months and then that then that market um the international market then sort of took a hit as well so so since then it has been a struggle within the mining sector um but because of what's happening in the industry now i think now is going to be a start of a of a um uh, uh, i wouldn't say recovery but i think things will start to pick up i have been saying it for the last few years but i think now uh with everything that is going on around the world with the numerous bubbles that are about to explode um i think for certain parts of the mining industry um, it's gonna it's gonna start to pick up in terms of the recruitment 
aspect of it. Uh, let, let's just touch on the fact that COVID-19, yada, 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 all that's going on. How have you seen the recruitment aspect of what you do? Has it been affected by COVID-19 or have new opportunities opened up? How, how has it worked for you? Yeah, at the, from what I see at the moment, recruitment opportunities, everything's been put on hold, to tell the truth. Uh, well, I wouldn't say everything. A lot of the roles have been put on hold mainly because candidates that I work in and the niche, the area that I work in, have to fly to countries. So just before just before this hit, I, I was just about to place someone in the role that his main job was uh, in business development and he would have been working across Africa and Europe. And predominantly he would have been traveling 75, 80% of the time. So that just before they were about to offer him a role, that's all been put on hold now. If you look at operations, um a lot of the companies are just sort of sitting tight at the moment what what happened was when it started to i suppose become more aware uh, of this virus covering <laughs> covering virtually all the world a lot of the expats were then planning to get out of the countries that they were involved in. So I, I suppose I predominantly do a lot of work in Africa. So a lot of the African, a uh, lot of the mining uh, people that I deal with who are based out on site. So these these are all senior uh, management, senior management and the, the, the hierarchy. So whether it's a GM, CEO, um, if they're based in country, if they're a smaller company, all of them were trying to get out of their countries wherever they were in. So whether in West Africa, whether in east africa um they were all trying to get out so and some of them done it early some of them had to wait some of them were had to wait for expatriate um sort of expatriate assistance via through other countries so um, for instance one of my clients he was working in nigeria he, he couldn't get out until um i think beginning of april so probably about yeah, probably about five or six weeks ago. And he had to get onto a Canadian expatriate flight. And they had to they he, he was actually British, but he lived in Ireland. Um, and it was a Canadian flight that flew out of Nigeria, dropped him off in, dropped him off in Ireland, and then went on to uh, Canada. So most expatriates are now working in their own, where, wherever they live, and working remotely, operating the mine remotely. So a number of scenarios could come could come from that are they actually needed as many are as many expatriates needed are they actually needed on site can they cut obviously cut the numbers down um with obviously with with the people that i recruit they fly in fly out um so they have all different rosters so it could be a six weeks on three weeks off it could be eight and four it could be nine and three seven and two with this with this virus people have to start self-isolating for two weeks. So that's going to change the whole pattern of the rosters. So if you had a, one of the mo most favorable rosters in Africa is a six, six and three. So six weeks on, three weeks off. So then if you have to add two weeks on top of that for, um, to self-isolate, some management can work because they can do stuff from their computer in the country before then they, they physically go onto site and be, be around the rest of their team. But if you're, if you're more of a hands-on supervisor or superintendent, um, then you're, it's just adding to your roster. So, and then you have to self, and then obviously self-isolate before you fly back. So these rosters are either gonna be extended 
out that it's going to change the whole way we do expatriate recruitment um they may then encourage people to live residentially in certain countries or um they could just try and nationalize staff which they always the governments always want to try and nationalize staff because they want their they want their own people to become get into these sort of um, senior positions to actually run the mine and that's the whole purpose of being an expatriate is that you have generally have a two-year contract you will train someone up to take over your position and make yourself redundant so yeah so that apart from that the the, the, the recruitment side yeah things have been slow or put, put on hold um operations are still fully functioning um supply chains are still moving there hasn't been too much disruption and this is and i'm speaking generally across and i suppose if i'm talking about africa generally a lot of the, the mines i've been speaking to and the, the, the general managers of those mines not much has been impacted in terms of their production um and supply chains so they're just continuing continuing as as they would do I suppose in terms of supply and production, I, I imagine that most things are operated now by machines. So if a machine can do it, then or it might be very, I don't know as much as you do, obviously. I was just, yeah, is, is that because a lot of it is done by machines or? Yeah, so what you're getting now is a few mines that are fully automated. So there's one in Mali um, uh, by a company called Resolute Mining who have a whole underground mine that's 100% automated. So you will see mines start to become automated, but generally speaking, mining is done by machinery, but also done by by a man uh, or woman. Um, they, if you've got a bit, so you've got two types of mines. You've got an underground mine and an open pit mine. Um, and obviously, an open pit mine, you'll just have various trucks, shovels, diggers, um, just basically scooping the the um, the ground. Uh, scooping material from the ground like you would do if you see a, a civil construction site for instance but within that within that soil and the, the ground is going to be commodity which then they would have to put through a process plant so again a process plant is generally automated but you still need people there to to manage that and uh, work the machinery and when people think about mining I, I would guess that a lot of people just think oh it's just metals and so forth but we know there are so many different things that can be mined aren't there yeah, well, if you think of everything in the world has either been mine, mined or agricultured. So it's either been grown or it's come from a mine. They're the only two places, unless it falls out the sky, they're the only two places um, everything around you has come from. So mining is a primary um, industry. And obviously, I suppose here in the UK, and obviously you've got listeners all from, from all around the world. So some people may may understand more so than people in the UK because the mining mining here in the UK is pretty non-existent. There is, there is a little bit of a resurgence, um, but back in the 80s, obviously there was a lot of coal mines um, and then they obviously all got shut down and the sort of mining industry died. However, majority of countries around the world mining is one of their either main or one of their top um industries that bring in their gdp so it's just we're we're not we don't see that from the from a uk perspective although there's a lot of mining companies that are based out of the uk their head offices are based out of the uk because of the financial markets because most of the money that's inputted into uh, the mining industry come from uh, come from the uk
with the fact you've lived in Australia for a while and you know other bits and pieces I also imagine that you've done or you've been lucky enough to be able to do quite a lot of traveling to various places so give us uh, let's focus a bit on sort of the travel aspects what give me some examples yeah. of some fun places that you've been to and any any interesting stories that you have from your, your yeah yeah abroad. certainly certainly so i the first i think the first time i probably went traveling and um, that's not just obviously going on holiday for a week or two but the first time i went traveling was when i was um when I was studying. So I had a, I, I took a, um, I'm just trying to think, the company was called Boonak. So it was during my holidays, three month holiday, um, during my first year of studying a uh, business studies degree, um, I, had an, uh, I had an exchange program. So I went over to America for three months. Um, so I did this t- on two occasions, uh, which is, which is, re- which really got my, um, got me thinking and really got me interested in traveling. So I worked in a place called uh, Maryland, uh, sorry, a place called, a place called Ocean City, which was in the state of Maryland, um, which is just below New York, surrounded by uh, Virginia, Washington, DC, um, Philadelphia. Um, and I was working in the kitchens basically as a kitchen porter. But that was one of the best job, best and funniest jobs that I had. Um, and just obviously working with Americans, um, they just loved the English accent. Um, and then when I worked, I worked there for two months and then I, then I went traveling, met a few people that I was working with. We went then traveling around America for four or five weeks. Um, the following year, I then traveled around Europe. Um, and I, I got on the train and just traveled around Europe. So I went to, and I know, I know from listening to a few of your podcasts, what my, what my trip around Europe really involved was going to football stadiums and drinking. That's all really it was. So all the places I went to, I went to Paris, I went to Madrid, um, I went to Torremolinos, Gibraltar, Barcelona, Lorette de Mar, through south of France, uh, Monaco, Nice, uh, then I went through to Milan, Switzerland, um, where else? Vienna. I'm just trying to work out how, where I went. Um, then I went to Prague, then into Germany, Hamburg, Berlin, then Amsterdam, then Rotterdam, then home. So that was my second stint of traveling. And, I, and again, thoroughly enjoyed it. And that was the days when you had to keep changing your money up each country that you went to. So there wasn't the Euro. Um, I can't remember about visas. I think, you could, yeah, I don't remember getting any visas. Um, so I just got on the train, going to these different countries, couldn't speak a word of, uh, I could only speak English. Uh, but yeah, that, that, was, that was entertaining fun. And then the following year, I went back out to America. Um, but then when I went back out to America the second time, I then carried on and went to Australia for for just under two years. So um, so that was my sort of traveling um, extent of what I did traveling. And yeah, definitely, definitely had the bug. And then I've been to a few other countries in the meantime. Um, but since having uh, three children, <laughs> a lot of that has uh, stopped. Um, but I, I, I will when I'm when I'm a bit older. I will go to a few of the other places I wouldn't mind going to. Um, you mentioned obviously interesting places. Um, been to um, Rio, which I, I pretty like Rio. 
Um, I, I do like a lot of the places in Australia. There's so much to see out there. And I only saw a lot of the uh, tourist stuff, even when I, even though I lived there for 10 years. But there's so much to see in Australia. Um, that there's, yeah, there's a lot that I still want to do out there. Yeah, maybe, maybe I might maybe I might ask you what kind of what what places did you uh, did you enjoy going to or what and also what places wouldn't you mind going to? Oh yeah, good good question. So uh, Aaron and myself, we done we travelled around Southeast Asia in 2011, and then flew from. In fact, probably the worst idea we've probably ever had was we flew from Bangkok in Thailand to Los Angeles, but we went. We didn't go like west. We went east, so we were grinding it's against the dateline. Yeah, through the dateline. So, yeah, yeah. So we, um, I remember. I think we were in transit for thirty-three hours. So we had to fly to Kuala Lumpur, then Taipei, and then to Los Angeles. In transit for about thirty-three hours, and when we left, I think we left Bangkok at about nine o'clock in the morning, and we arrived at Los Angeles at six o'clock that same afternoon on the same day. Worst decision ever. Don't don't do that. <laughs> yeah, don't don't do that. Um, not pleasant. For there we travelled overland to New York. Uh, so yeah, done. I don't know. Went to like Vegas, Dallas, Atlanta. Atlanta, Georgia's great. Yeah. It's just I'm awesome. And then yeah, 2014, 2015, we went to Brazil for the World Cup, and yeah. from there went around South and Central America. So. I, I love that part of the world. I suggest yeah. it's lovely. In terms of places like Australia and New Zealand that I've never been, the spiders would put me off, but yeah. it's all about the experiences. So I'd That's... like to go to that part of the world as well. Yeah, I mean, everyone says about, as soon as you mention Australia, they always talk about the spiders and snakes. And to tell you the truth, when you're there, you hardly see them and you just don't worry about them. Do you worry about spiders here? No, you don't. I'm a, I'm a arachnophobic. I'm a arachnophobic. I think I'm a arachnophobic. So yeah. <laughs> See, I, I only saw one snake out in the wild in ten years, um, and the thing is, yeah, you just it, it was quite far in front of me, um, but yeah, you just just stood there, wait till it moved off and then you carry on from carrying on walking spiders you see every, you, you see them um in between trees and branches and where you would see spiders here sometimes you see a huntsman in in your house but they're like a, like a big daddy long legs they don't do anything um, they the smallest, uh, not not a huntsman uh, or they may be but they can't it's a bit like a daddy i think daddy long legs is one of the uh, most sort of dangerous spiders and venomous, but they because they can't attack you or they can't penetrate their their teeth or whatever into you, then they can't. It, you can't die from it. Similar with a huntsman, um, but I don't think they're ven venomous, but they they look pretty big. Uh, but it's the smaller smaller spiders that you got to watch. But again, you hardly ever see them. You just if you want, you just tread on them. <laughs> it's like it's not. You, yeah. You don't, that's that's the least you got to worry about. Oh, fair enough. I suppose like the little uh, going slightly off topic. It's like the little um, <laughs> poison dart frogs you get. They're about. I mean, for the benefit of podcast, you're not going to see me do about what a couple of inches long, and they're. In, you know, I think all you got to do is touch them, and the toxins can kill you within a couple of hours if you don't get medical help. Um, not yeah. that I've tried that. I no. don't don't recommend people try that either. If you're no. in and around the jungle. 
and that, that's the thing when you're in Australia, if you did get bit, bit, bit by a spider, you have got, I don't know, you have got half a day to get somewhere or a day to get to hospital to get the anti-venom and uh, yeah, so you're, you're not... It, you're not too isolated unless you're out in the middle of the bush and there's nothing around for hundreds of miles then uh, then you might be in a little bit of trouble uh well we'll say hopefully that will never happen but i don't know <laughs> no. we'll, 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 we'll know but the uh, the traveling the traveling bug's a great bug to to have to be honest and mm. when you sort of got into recruitment i imagine and again there's a lot of imagining going on that you have been to some quite interesting places as part of recruiting is that right no not really uh, i have been to a few mine sites um it's really hard to get onto a mine site unless you're a worker um but more recently and over the last probably two years i've started to go to uh, some more mining conferences since i've had the podcast and me just getting out there a bit more um so i've been going to a few few conferences one in melbourne in australia one um in Canada, which I went the other month, um, and I've been to um, Cape Town in South America twice. Uh, sorry, South Africa twice. So they're some of the main, main and bigger mining conferences, which last for three or four days, uh, which is a great place to network, great place to uh, promote my podcast, and um, yeah, and again, it's I suppose it's like obviously you being involved in property going to local network meetings with my industry mining and because it's worldwide my network meetings are international which is i don't mind it i don't i, I like going and travel and going to all these different countries but that's that happens once or tw uh, these events happen once once every year so they're the bigger mining events you might get a, you actually do get a few little little mining events here in here in the uk more it's more around the finance industry um finance for mining um but yeah they're some of the countries that i go to and i'm regularly going to go to these mining conferences every year um i'm actually a media partner to to all of those so i actually get a free ticket as well because the tickets are quite expensive because they think mining people have got a lot of money which they have and the mining companies have um but i get a free ticket because i promote their i promote the conference and interview a few of their guests Moving on, moving on to the podcast. Uh, sorry, to, sorry to interrupt there. Uh, moving on to the podcast. What gave you the idea to set up the podcast, and then what is the purpose of Dig Deep? By the way, if you haven't listened to it before, it is really, really good. I do listen to it; it's fantastic. But what gave you the idea to do it in the first place, and what, what's the concept? Yeah, so I, I listened to a uh, I listened to a webinar uh, by uh, Rob Moore, um, who, yeah, I, I just I, for some reason I whether. I knew this before I started listening to the webinar or before during it. But when I was listening to it, a light bulb moment came into my head and I was thinking, how can I, how can, what can I do a podcast on within my industry and my niche as well? And it just, and I thought, this is how I can get access to CEOs of, mine, of mining companies or very senior people within mining, within mining companies. Um, and they're the people that I want to try and reach out to and, and try and get business from. So straight away, I thought this is a great, this could be a great concept for me to do that. Um, and I also thought I didn't know if there was any other mining podcast. And since I found out, obviously after uh, after 
obviously after researching it and then have, uh, producing a podcast no there's literally a handful out there um and i was actually voted the best mining podcast um out there by i don't know some some poll um but yeah it, it just it was just listening to listen to what a podcast can actually do for someone and obviously the people that listen to listen to this podcast um whether you've got a podcast or not and if you haven't got a podcast and you think of starting I think you need to be unclear as to why you're doing a podcast. There's no point in doing a podcast for the sake of it because everyone else is doing it. I think you need to have a bit of a purpose. My purpose was to get access to CEOs of mining companies. Uh, another reason, and since I've been doing my podcast, which has been going for about 18 months now, I think we actually started, I think we launched in virtually the same week. I think mine was November, 2018. Yep, same November the 5th, 2018. Okay. So, um, yeah, so my, my purpose is obviously reaching senior people within the, the mining industry. Um, me understanding more from a technical perspective by because my podcast is just basically interviewing technical people um, all, that have different disciplines within mining. And it's just not mining people. It is also services related to the mining industry so for instance finance um i've spoken to there's a guy called rick rule who's a he's a, a american he's he's um his company have sort of loaned out or under management got 11 11 and a half billion under management that they uh, put into mining companies around the world so he's someone that speaks at all these conferences so he's been on my podcast a couple of times i've had someone from the the world gold council um, speak about gold and a few other gold specialists. I've had Deloitte's, um, so the head of Deloitte's worldwide. I've interviewed him twice. That was giving um, um, talks about the the mining industry, the trends. Um, and more recently, we've had some interviews around blockchain technology, AI, battery technology. Um, so, from listening to from listening to these people, I'm just increasing my knowledge in the industry that I work in. But also it gives education back to the industry. I mean, the industry is pretty big, even though it's a worldwide industry. And if you, for instance, if you've got a mine engineer, he would only know about mine engineering. He won't know about geology necessarily. He won't know about geology. He won't know about finance. He won't know about blockchain. He wouldn't know about gold necessarily. There's so much more these people can learn. So it's a platform for people to learn. Um, and I've got a website dedicated to the podcast and I get asked people for recommendations and I'm getting recommendations all the time saying, thank you for producing this. We're learning so much, so much from it. Um, so yeah, so it makes me feel I need to obviously keep continuing. I, I enjoy doing it and I obviously will continue while the feedback was, is positive. So yeah, it's, it was, it was that light bulb moment to, uh, and then it's then putting yourself out there and starting it all off. I mean, it's like anything, things start off slow. Um, you might be hesitant in in putting it all together, but you just take one step at a time. Um, and yeah, away you go. But it, it's, it's a great platform, podcasting. I think it's going to be an ever-growing platform, um, especially with speech um, probably becoming more, more of a technology that's going to grow and grow and grow in various forms. So... Um, yeah, that, that's why I started, and uh, thankfully I, I listened to that webinar and then took action. Yeah, so we'll uh, we'll put links in the show notes at the end as well, and 
you know, all of that, all, all I can say is uh, listening to listening to myself. I really, <clears throat> excuse me, I really enjoy listening to it because of the various aspects you get. And I learn mm. a lot from that, especially when, say, you had, um, you know, the variety of content you've got. People from the Gold Council, people from Deloitte's. It's just, yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a great it's a great blend. Yeah. It's because it's a because it's a, a mining industry podcast, and obviously your listeners will have all different come from different backgrounds. Um, there might be a handful of pod, handful of episodes that you could listen to. Uh, for instance, if you're interested in hearing about more about precious metals, then there is a few that talk about pre- precious metal. If you invest in the stock market, stock market, and you are looking at commodities, again, there is a few people that are just speaking purely around the finance and projects that they're currently looking at. So these could be investment vehicles that are investing in investing in um, mining mining companies and mining stocks. So there's there's been a few stockbrokers. I, I remember one, I can't remember his name now, but he's a stockbroker from America. Um, and he's he's got like a hundred million dollars uh, to for exploration. So that's just going he's got that amount of money just to go and explore some projects and he's trying to find the, the next biggest gold and copper well i think copper or gold mine in the world um and just hearing him how he's because he used to be a stockbroker and investing in commodities um if you want to know a little bit more about blockchain uh, i interviewed someone a few weeks ago around blockchain obviously she's related to the mining industry um but she was just talking about blockchain so um yeah so there's you don't have to just want to learn about mining or most people probably wouldn't unless they're in the industry but there is a few episodes on there that you can get some you can get something from it and it's not just about mining what would you say over your time of doing the podcast if you had to pick a couple of things a couple of things that you've learned like really key things that you learned that you had no idea about before from the people you've interviewed if you had to pick a couple what would they be yeah good good question and it's not one of the questions you asked me you asked me prior to this um well one of the one of the things which i mentioned already which again never ever came came to me was that everything in this whole world has either been mined or or grown and people don't realize that um and certainly when you get a lot of people that are against mining so you get all of these i don't know greenies or whatever you want to call them against mining and there's i mean i went to a conference in melbourne last year where um there was there was probably about a thousand protesters outside the conference and they were all complaining about mining i don't know what into what content they were complaining about mining but the thing is what they don't realize is the phones in their hands that they were taking pictures with videos and try and pass it all over, all over social media. That phone has come from a mine. They don't realise that. Um, where they live has come from a mine. Their their house has come from a mine. Everything they do has come from a mine. And I don't. And I think mining has got a bad image. Um, and when I speak to people on the podcast, they 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 all do say that it needs to improve its image. People need to understand what mining is actually about. It's not a bad thing. Um, it's what creates and and develops the world um so that's that's just looking at that perspective um is yeah is, is a bit of an eye opener. and if i didn't do that if i did do the podcast i wouldn't have thought like that at all um other things um i suppose just learning more about each 
commodity. Um, again, so someone from the obviously speaking to someone from the Gold Council, learning learning a little bit about um, how they they're they're more of an advisory board to the gold industry. So that was quite interesting. Um, again, when I interviewed the guy uh, Rick Rule, who um, again from from a finance perspective, what kind of things he would he would invest in, what he sees is the future. So. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of things. From each episode, I do pick one or two things out that, I, that I've that i learned. Um, uh, yeah, off the top of my head, I can't remember right this minute, but yeah, I, I learn from every episode. And so do, so, and so do all the listeners as well, because I get regular feedback after every episode saying how much, they, uh, how much they've learned from, from each of the episodes from the variety of different speakers. And as you said, a crucial part of that is knowing that's part of why you set up Dig Deep in the first place, wasn't it? To grow mm. your own knowledge and education on a variety of subjects related to mining and, of course, you know, blockchain, gold, etc., etc., and to serve your ever-growing audience as well. So to have that knowing why you're doing it is start with the end in mind, I think, is the term that comes to mind. Certainly. And I mean, the, the podcast is in 160 countries at the moment, uh, but predominantly the podcast is in countries like the UK, Australia, America, Canada, and South Africa. But what my problem I have at the moment is trying to get it out wider to more, to more, uh, although I'm in 160 countries, I want to go deeper into some of those countries. So for instance, in Africa, there's, I think there's 50 odd countries in Africa, um, but there might be only a handful of people in each of those countries listening to podcasts. My challenge is, is trying to get out to all those countries it's a free podcast. So if any, every, any listeners uh, across the world who, who's, in, who's in a country that I suppose they're one of their big industries is mining, appreciate if you can uh, share, share my uh, podcast out to, to, uh, to your friends and family who may be in the, the mining, mining industry. Um, I can't remember. There was a stat in Australia that uh, well over half of Australia is somehow related to the mining industry. Um, it might be not as half as half, half the country, but it's not too far off. So any sort of related services all fall back onto the mining industry. And if you look at Africa, most countries, their, GD, their, their GDP, a lot of it comes from, from mining. It's interesting. It's, I mean, wow, that Australia stats quite, I mean, what's the population of Australia? 30 million? Uh, about 30 million? It's 20, 23, 24, 25, something like that. So yeah, there's there's quite a lot. I, I don't know if it's fifty percent. It might be thirty, forty percent, but it, it's a lot. Maybe maybe some maybe some of the Australian listeners can uh, correct me on that. But it, it is a high percentage. So it, it, if you if you if you surround yourself by three or four people, one or two of them would be in mining or a mining related service. And then you mentioned a really crucial point about GDP as well. Now again, I'm not a mining aficionado. I'm, far from it that's that perception you go back to about the people with their phones complaining about our oh, mining's bad or xyz where well hang on a minute i imagine and again i don't know all the ins and outs of the mining industry but i imagine that there are going to be some companies in some in some countries that contribute a hell of a lot of positive numbers to gdp so what do you think mining can do from the people you've spoken to what do you think mining can do to sort of start to change that image that it has at the moment good question that's a question i ask a lot of people um 
and I suppose if I speak from an expatriate point of view, so i.e. a company going into another country to source, use their land to source materials from and commodities from. So if you pick a country, say in Africa, a lot of them go into those countries Obviously, their primary objective is to make a profit, as like any any company. Um, and obviously, their specialisation is to draw minerals, metals from the earth. But what you get is you get there's a lot of it. Ta- it takes a lot. It takes a long time to build a mine. And what um, there's so many challenges, especially if you go into a, a country, say for instance, a country in West Africa. Um, where there's a lot of corruption um, and it's a case of you going in there, making, building good relationships with the government. And then also, once you've done that, you then obviously, you're going to the area that you're going to start mining. There's local communities there. So there's a lot of emphasis. And when you go to these mining conferences, they're always talking about it, that you've got to, you're only a visitor there. You're going into their land and taking their land away from them and to taking taking their commodity or royalties away from, from them. Um, but you've got to work alongside them. So what you do, what you get is a lot of mining companies when they're making their, I suppose, their, their big strategic plans that they're going to come in and not just mine and walk away. It's helping them build schools. It's helping them build hospitals um, and just basically generally contributing to that local community that you're that you're working in so there and it's an ongoing you're obviously going to have some people that are against it but the majority of people are for it if they can see they're getting something out of it um and there's always going to be issues there's always going to be challenges um and then once a mine is up and running and you're providing these services um it seems then that each government or local government or national government of that country see the amount of money that they could be making um, always want that little bit more they always want that little bit more royalty um, so if you're if you're producing this much or making this much money we want like a bigger cut um, so you're all you're always going to get that but how it's going to help people is by improving the infrastructure and services in and around the mine and, and for instance I've, I've read reports um especially with this uh, this virus about where some of the mining companies are actually helping out local hospitals and using their facilities, their hospitals that they've bought, uh, sorry, built, um, helping them with, helping the local hospitals uh, with, I suppose, testing and, and, and things like that. So, you, so the mining companies, again, working with that country or working with that, um, the, that, that local council in helping them through just through emergencies or and also just everyday life. So, yeah. So that's that's what mining can do for people. And people don't see that. And obviously, these greenies that um, that are opposed to mining don't actually see the bigger picture. So it, it's it's basically educating those. And I think the way you can educate this, and again, on some of our podcasts, I, I speak to these, speak to my guests about this. And I think it just needs to start, the education needs to start in schools. So I suppose it's a bit difficult to think about that here in the UK because mining isn't an industry, necessarily an industry here. Although quarrying is, um, but it's educating the, 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 
pick children at school that there's this thing called mining and this this is what it does for the country uh, or does for the world and helps helps the world grow so i think it the education starts in the schools so people actually understand what what mine what mine is about and what it actually contributes to the world that sounds like a very very big pr effort that's got to come from the mining industry and that's not you know, that's not going to happen overnight is it that's going to take years and years and years and years and years well i think it might even take longer than that it's funny i went to a even when i, I went to a uh, conference in melbourne and there was a guy on sta- a young guy on stage so he, he was i think it was a recent mine engineering graduate two or three years experience he actually lived in a mining town in australia called orange so you imagine you live in a you live in a mining town yet he didn't actually un- he didn't actually know what didn't really know much about what mining was what mining was about and yet he lived in a mining town so it's and that's in australia where the mining industry is a big obviously in the biggest industry for for the country yet someone living in a mine town doesn't even know anything about mining so um yeah they've certainly got a big a big image problem um but yeah it, it can only improve over time um whether whether the introduction of ai um, new technologies, whether that will play some sort of part, a part in in helping that, maybe. Um, but yeah, it, it certainly has got a big image problem, and and everyone in the industry knows, but they don't seem to come up with any solutions or how to how to move forward with it. I suppose as well, bad news is a lot easier to well, not just in mining, I suppose in any industry or you know anything. The minute you get some bad news, then you know, boom, let's get it on BBC and let's get it worldwide and let's, you know, let's panic people. There's always some sort of behind the scenes uh, things going on, which actually leads us yeah. on to something else. Uh, another thing we were talking about before the episode started was we've both been reading, and this relates to gold as well, we've both been reading a lot of uh, James Rickard's books recently. Yeah. And that, I mean, that, that guy is clued up. He is... Well, yeah, that guy's anyone that needs to listen to or read about macroeconomics, politics, gold, etc. Go and check out some James Rickard books. Yeah, J- James Rickard's also, but also um, Mike Maloney. So again, for something a little bit easier, I was going to say reading, but it's actually watching. If you go to his website, which is uh, goldsilver.com, he's got a 10-part series of Hidden Secrets of Wealth. And... On that, it's there's 10 videos of about 30 minutes each, just basically talking about how, what money is, what currency is, talks about gold, um, and how, how in history, how currencies, money has evolved um, over the course of time. And it's, it's interesting, it opens your eyes up. Um, it actually opens, like, obviously, money which isn't money it's currency so fiat currency how that's actually formed and the the whole thing behind that like the federal reserve and um i mean even even says it's a they're a criminal organization so it's so yeah it's really really interesting so i advise any of the listeners if they want to uh if they want to learn a little bit about how the economy actually works the history of it and it's quite easy easy watching should uh, go to um yeah mike maloney goldensilver.com um hidden secrets of uh of wealth or it's, it's hidden secrets of money uh, and should watch that and it certainly opens your eyes up yeah it's 
there, there's always an ulterior motive, I think, for for anything. I remember we, well, in fact, that in the previous episode, talking with uh, Mark Homer, we were talking about uh, furlough schemes, what, and saying that you know there are going to be instances out there where it's actually more beneficial for people to be furloughed because companies might figure out that they can actually make more money and you know, mm. let, let's be let, let's be realistic the world revolves around money people might say well i'm not motivated by money yeah okay fine whatever don't believe them the world revolves around money people are driven by it because ultimately that can deliver some form of freedom and if there's money to be made then that sort of greed element comes in yeah. and yeah it's just it's just interesting listening to a, yeah. a variety of perspectives about it yeah. and really realizing that you know the further you go into it that the world can be quite scary in terms of how it works behind the scenes but you know regular people and i do that with neil bunny is uh, you know regular yeah. people might never bother to take the time to to learn about how the world actually works and i think if a lot of people did they'd be quite concerned, but also a lot of great lessons to learn. <laughs> yeah, they'd be, they'd be concerned and actually surprised. I mean, you, you just think now, obviously time of this recording, um, they're printing, whatever it is in the UK, 330 billion. How can one minute they have a uh, budget of 30, 30 something billion, then suddenly a few days later, oh, now we've got, we've got 330 billion to pump into the economy. Um, and again, watching if you're watching um, listening to us, someone like Jim Rickards and uh, Mike Maloney, um, creating all this money without any goods or services is just going to be catastrophic because there's no value being added. So all this money being printed has got to be paid back somehow. And what it is is taking it's taking wealth away from the future generations. Um, because you're printing, you're printing money into circulation, which reduces your purchasing power. Um, and yeah, you can't. You, it, it's the market being manipulated. So the government is manipulating the, the free market, and that's what's gonna. That's what's gonna happen. You're not gonna see it immediately, but this is why we're probably gonna go into a depression or even a, into a deep depression because there's so many bubbles that are going to be going to be bursting it's not just well there's there's going to be a there there's, there is going to be a um a, a fiat currency collapse and that's not just ours that's going to be all around the world fiat currencies generally only last 30 40 years and we're just over the 40 year mark i think so that's going to collapse especially with all this printing so um there's other bubbles i think the property market is in a bubble because everything is just if you look at history over the last 100 years when i think back in the 50s you could actually buy a house with a year's salary so how many years do you have to work now to buy your average house quite a few so you can see that's overvalued so that's going to come down there's the debt markets um i think in america there's four trillion um, a four trillion stimulus package. I think that they've they've introduced into market yet, but there's over two hundred trillion in debts accumulated. So, which is never going to be paid back. So, and everything's obviously pegged to the uh, US to the US uh, dollar. Um, so, yeah, there's some interesting times ahead. And, and looking looking at those two guys that we've just mentioned, um, you understand it a lot more. What could eventuate and if you if you understand it and listen to it um 
and then plan you're going to be better off than if you don't listen to it yeah that's uh, that's that's a key point and it goes back to what you said before that it can be quite for someone that's not really into learning about that sort of stuff it could be quite scary some of the information that's that's in those books and all you have to do rather than go oh it's all you know bs etc and again as you pointed out we'll just go back and look at previous market cycles just what you know mark and mark and i said on on the episode last week was anyone can pick up a book and study let's just take 1929 wall street crash anyone can pick up a book and study that what preceded that what happened before that what was going on geopolitically then obviously the crash happened then you know what happened after that because the same the same stuff happens yeah all the time it's the same in 2007 2009 you know that time that time frame uh with covid19 you know you see this mass panic and there's always mass panic because that's one of the traits of uh, yes it fascinating stuff we'll put we'll put links to all of that we're 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 at the actual 100 100 year sort of mark of where i suppose the great depression did did start um and yeah subsequently it took them 10 15 20 years to get out of it so there was a little there was a little i think again i, I, I probably won't speak about it because I, I don't know the exact dates but um yeah there was with this money now being released into the economy you probably will see a spike in in certain in people spending but then there will become a time whether it's this year next year or the following year where you would then see that spending stop obviously there's going to be a currency crash there's going to be a huge wealth uh, wealth transfer um there's going to be high unemployment people who owed so much money um and yeah it's it's going to be interesting times ahead and and certainly um uncertain times ahead um but i think we are heading into a depression and again saying that because of what's happened in history previously yeah that's the just to point out that's not you and i being complete doom and gloom that's us looking yeah. and studying previously the other thing i'll um i'll add just before we uh, sort of wrap up as such is that again another link will be in the show notes there's a book about tax by a guy called dominic frisbee who i believe writes for the uh, financial times and i really enjoyed reading that i know you know mentioned tax it sounds a bit uh there's actually a really really good book so i wouldn't be surprised that on the back of what you've just said rob that there's going to be some uh, not tax manipulation but there's going to be possibly an increase in taxes somewhere because you know this money's got to get paid back somehow yeah yeah no certainly then everything will be rising so again if you watch that hidden secrets of money what will happen food will start rising and i don't know if you have and especially audience as well have noticed food prices just slightly started rising if you look if you buy some if you some of the shopping that you buy you continuously you always buy and you then tend to know how much that costs just just watch just watch the cost of that and you'll see it slowly increasing and that's again i think to do with some of the supply chains um, but everything will start increasing because, and it might it might not happen straight away, but it will gradually happen. And then you could go into sort of hyperinflation where things will suddenly become very expensive. Um, and again, watching those videos, there's a cycle, and it's 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 though it's predicted. They know what's going to happen next. Some of these people, mm. um, and yeah, like I said, you got paid. You got we've got paid this back 
this money back somehow. And that's only the interest. That's not the principle. So that's paying back the interest, which they need to keep up with. Um, so, yeah, you're going to see prices rising. Um, certain prices rising, and obviously there's going to be some that are falling. Well, on, on that happy note, we'll... Um... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? No, the, the thing is, it's like anything. It, there's always going to be opportunities out there, but it's, I suppose it's understanding and realising. And again, it's only more recently that I've been... Even though these this set of videos that I've been mentioning, I did watch them two years ago, but didn't really pay too much notice to it, just understood it. But since the lockdown, I've actually watched them twice over again, just so I understand. And it just helps you prepare better. It just helps you sort of change, changes your mind and, and look at things a little bit differently. And you're not going to be, you're not going to be shocked when you, you go to the supermarket, something you've been buying doubles in price. You're not going to be shocked because uh, that will eventually happen. Um, but it's just preparing yourself and making plans as to what you can do. Again, we, we can talk about unemployment. That's just going to, that's probably more likely going to rise. If it's going to follow the US where there's, I don't know how many now at this moment, 25, 30 million that are unemployed. And that has just spiked over the last four, six weeks, for instance. That Will that have a knock-on effect here as well? Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of things to, uh, a lot of things that are going to be coming up that are going to make us even more comfortable. I think this is just obviously the tip of the iceberg. That's just what's, what's happening now. But it's certainly... Um, certainly going to be a, a, a different future out there uh, what i think we should do rob is mark in uh, an, an episode maybe in a couple of years time as a as a catch-up and reflect on sort of predictions that we made in this episode yeah. and then see, <laughs> see what they were like a couple of years away Dep depends how close they are <laughs> <laughs> oh brilliant yeah um, rob you mentioned obviously we've mentioned loads of times you host the dig deep podcast yeah how do people find you? Yeah, so I've got a dedicated website to the podcast. So that's www.digdeeptheminingpodcast.com. Um, obviously, follow me on the normal the normal podcast channels. So iTunes, Spotify. Um, can't remember where, where else. They're, they're across the major major platforms. Also on the YouTube as well. I've only just started putting the the content on YouTube. Um, but hopefully I'm going to get the whole um, catalogue out on YouTube but if you go to my website you can you can see every episode I've, I think I've done 75 now so they come out weekly every Thursday um, and like I said it, that you don't have to be involved in mining to listen to some of them some of them are obviously going to be more relevant to mining but some of them are not as well so um, covers you just have a quick scroll through if there's anything you like listen to it awesome stuff and we'll put the links in the show notes so Rob uh, thanks for your time and best of luck with your ventures moving forward yeah I appreciate your time Rob and uh, yeah likewise as well